actually like that people are gonna follow me. Bless you. to see you. How is that the only warm thing? Yeah, I know. It's so cold outside. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Let's start. Okay. Hi, everyone. Glad you guys made it with the snow and the cold. Glad everyone got here safely. Um, my name is Jenny. I'm one of the volunteer staff at Stepping Stone. This is Aaron. He's um, a member of Stepping Stone. Um, so yeah, I'll pray for us and then we can get started in worship. Um. Um, dear God, we just thank you for this time that we have to meet together. Um, Father, we don't take it for granted that we're able to come together in the same place and sing songs together and worship you in adoration together. Um, we just pray for this time that we have. Um, would you quiet our hearts? God, would you help us just to draw close to you and um, 
yeah, just worship you for all the things that you are. Um, would you just open up our hearts, God? Um, would you help us just to lay down our burdens, whatever is, um, yeah, weighing on us? Help us to just bring those things to you. Help us just to sing, yeah, your praise um, together. Um, uh, we, uh, yeah, we just thank you for this time, and um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Um, if you guys want to rise. As we go into this next song, um, I just wanted to share um, 
yeah, I think that this week, uh, I just felt like there were so many things going on, um, so many different things to worry about and um, be stressed out about. Um, and I think during my time with him, I felt like God was just calling me um, just to bring all of those things to him. Um, and I felt like he was reassuring me that like whatever I had to bring to him, that it was enough. Um, however messy, however, um, yeah, just burdened or however, I don't know, even if I didn't have the words to pray or to sing that, um, that it was okay. Um, um, and as we go into this next song, um, I think just worshiping him, um, just responding to who he is, um, because he is great and he is powerful and he is so loving, um, and he knows each of our burdens, he knows each of the things that weigh on our hearts, um, yeah, so let's just take this time just to respond, um, in love and adoration and worship um, to who he is.
Father, we just thank you for this time again. Um, thank you for bringing us together just to worship you. Um, thank you for being a God who is so loving and um, so big and so strong that, um, yeah, that we are just led to worship you. Um, so we just pray that in this time that you would just, yeah, help us to just really hear your words today um, and help us just to love you um, during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and take your seats. Welcome, everyone. It's good to see you. My name is Christy. Glad everyone's here. Glad everyone made it in the snow. Um, it wasn't really sticking too much, for at least on the roads, we're good. Hopefully, it'll continue to be that way. It won't be bad uh, for the rest of the day. But welcome. Good to see you all. Um, just a few, uh, just one real announcement. We have community groups starting up soon. They're going to be starting the week of the 20th. Um, and so we're actually on the 20th. That's next Sunday. We're going to have a... Um, let me make sure I get it right. Yep, 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 yep. A kickoff meeting after service. So go ahead and sign up. We have a lovely QR code for you. I think you can probably even reach it from there maybe, huh? huh? If you haven't signed up yet, go ahead and sign up. Um, get you know, ready for all of that and um, we'll have a kickoff meeting after service next Sunday. That's really my only announcement. Um, yeah, so I invite y'all to stand to greet one another. Um, little ones, you can escort the children off to Children's Church and uh, we'll call you back together in a few minutes for the message. Thanks.
Okay, we're gonna get started. You can take your seats. Okay. All right, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Michael. I'm really glad to be able to share the word with us today. We're continuing this sermon series we've been in for a while now, Moving Forward in Faith, looking at this working purpose of Grace Life. And it's working, you know, we, it's still being developed, so I wanna make sure I get it right in the current state that it's in. We live to encounter and respond to God in the everyday while inviting others on the journey. I'll read it one more time. We live to encounter and respond to God in the everyday while inviting others on the journey. You know, today we're going to be looking at a specific passage in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can turn with me there. And we're looking at, you know, for the doctors or aspiring doctors, a case study, a look at someone who did encounter Jesus and what that teaches us today. Now, at the end of Luke's book in this chapter, he includes three encounters, these post-resurrection encounters with God. And we know Luke, the author of Acts as well, also records that Jesus was on earth for 40 days. He likely had hundreds of dramatic encounters with people throughout those 40 days, but he specifically chooses to include these three in this letter. And we ask why. What is so important about these three? Well, the first one is this miraculous story, you know, of the woman at the empty tomb. You see Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they go to the tomb and the stone is rolled away. They encounter the angels who say, Jesus is not here, he is risen. This miraculous encounter. And at the end of Luke, the third encounter is Jesus before the disciples. You see him say, touch my hands, put your hand in my side, and see me, the risen Jesus. It's again, this miraculous, incredible encounter. But in the middle, you see this pretty unique, this almost bizarre encounter of these two men who are said to be on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus encounters them, but at first they have no idea it is even him. They're completely clueless. You know, why does Jesus include this account here? You know, I think about this. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, and some of you may be excited for it, some of you not. One stat I read is more people actually watch the halftime show than the game itself. Like a third of the country is going to be watching the halftime show today, and some of you may be excited for this. Eminem, Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar performing on the biggest stage. Why is it that more people watch this than the game itself? I think it's because people relate to this. Most people don't understand people smashing their heads into one another, the game of football, but people get this, they connect to this, to music, to the performance. I think what Luke is doing here, why he includes this passage, is because most people, most of his readers, are not going to connect to Mary, the, people, the woman who saw the empty tomb, not going to connect to the 12 disciples, the, the people who walked with Jesus and saw him every day. They're going to connect to these two men on the road to Emmaus, the ones who have no idea it is Jesus right there with them. So we're going to look at this passage today, and we're going to see what it teaches us about what it looks like for us to encounter God, maybe in this day and age. So if you don't mind, I'd like to pray before we begin. So would you bow your heads with me? Yeah, God, we just thank you so much for this um, beautiful day you've given us, you know, for the opportunity to worship, to hear your scripture, and to learn from your word what it means to follow you. God, would you teach us what it looks like to live out this vision, this purpose of ours, to encounter and respond to you in the everyday? Yeah, we love you, Lord. Would you speak to us, and would you send your Holy Spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be answering two questions today. One, what kept these people from initially encountering Jesus? And then two, what did Jesus show them to make it happen? We'll start in verse 13. It says this, 
that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. You know, they're talking about the fact that they were awaiting this Messiah, Jesus, but he was tried before Pilate and he was crucified. They're talking about all these things that had just happened before this. And it says, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing, recognizing him. And, they, and he said to them, kind of with some humor, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. You see, these people have no idea it is the risen Jesus standing right with them. It says they stand still, looking sad. The first question, why, what kept these people from encountering Jesus? It says in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And the word in Greek for this verb here, kept, is ekratanto. It's a passive verb that doesn't have an agent um, that was keeping them from recognizing him. I think what this means to me is that something about their worldview, something about the way they saw the world, was keeping them from recognizing Jesus. That they had some expectation for what it looked like to encounter Jesus that kept them from seeing him right in front of them. I think I see three things here. First, that they didn't expect Jesus to appear in this ordinary way. You know, I was watching this video of Shaquille O'Neal undercover as a taxi driver, and this guy has no idea it's him. It's like, how can you not know this is Shaq driving the car right next to you? Maybe it's because we don't, these people didn't recognize that, or didn't expect Jesus to appear to them on this insignificant road as they're simply talking about the latest trends or the latest news. They didn't expect Jesus to appear in this ordinary situation. They weren't expecting this supernatural encounter with the living, risen God as they're just in this ordinary, everyday experience of their life. You know, sadly, when I think about churches today and what, it, what we think about when we think about encountering and responding to God, mostly what we think of is the one in a thousand dramatic, crazy experiences. You know, the booming voice of God coming down from heaven. Or, you know, the miraculous conversion experience, the mission trip experience. But I think these are the ones that are often talked about and overemphasized. For the other 999 of us, encountering God often doesn't look this way. It looks like what we see here in this passage, extremely ordinary. You know, would you consider this question? That Jesus, he may be in your life right now, and you don't recognize him. That you may be walking along your road. You know, maybe asking God, where are you? Why does my life look the way it does? You know, maybe you're like these men, sad and standing still. And Jesus may be right there. You know, he may be speaking to you now, and you may just not recognize it. Many of us, like these people, are expecting something supernatural, something with fireworks and special effects, but we expect the voice of heaven to speak down to us. But Jesus appears to these men when they least expect it, in the ordinary. That's often the way Jesus operates. You know, we move on in the passage, verse 18. It says this, One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he says, to the, he says to them again in some humor, what things? And they say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The second point of why they were not able to recognize Jesus is this, that they expected a helper in their lives when what they needed was a savior. 
that they were expecting a specific sort of redeeming for the people of Israel. It says they crucified him, Jesus was crucified, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That, you know, at a minimum, they expected Jesus to bring them freedom from the Roman Empire to give them economic or political freedom. At best, they might have been fed up with the pharisaical behavior and expected Jesus to bring some moral reformation, to say, you know, we can't keep living this way, to have this renewed um, calling to follow God by the people of Israel. That what Cleopas thought was what he really needed was for something about his circumstance, his situation to change, but instead what he saw was Jesus condemned to death, something that didn't fit his agenda. You know, what Cleopas, what Cleopas was not expecting, what was not on his agenda was this need for spiritual redemption, this need for a savior who would die. You know, consider this question for yourself. What shoes are you looking for Jesus to fill? What circumstance are you looking for him to change? What agenda do you put before him as you look to encounter him? You know, maybe some of us say, God, I need to encounter you because I need you to help me through school. I need you to help me land that dream internship or that dream job. I need you to help me find that significant other that I need. I need you to help me be a good father, a good spouse. You know, it's easy for us to see the need of a helper. It's often so hard for us to see the need for a savior. You know, most of us are not the Mary Magdalene's. We're not the prostitutes, the thieves, the murderers who so easily see our need for a savior in our lives. We're the Cleopases. We come to God in this way, expecting Jesus to help us, but can have such a hard time acknowledging the need for a savior, one who would die. You know, the message of the gospel is this, that Jesus didn't come just to help people. He didn't come just to make us better people. He came to save us through his death. That in order to encounter God, we need to see our need not for a helper, but for a savior, a redeemer. You know, could it be, ponder this, that the things we ask for, help in our career, with our kids, with our relationship status, whatever it may be, that we ask God for help in these things, but these things are the very thing that we need to be freed from. You know, these are the things that we have to have, the things that drive us, the things that give us our sense of happiness, our sense of worth, purpose, in many ways controls who we are. That if we don't have it, we feel the effect that we're slaves to the very things we need. You know, does it ever occur to you that the thing that you're asking God to help you with may be the very thing that is strangling us? That we don't need a helper, we need a savior who will help us to redeem us from these idols. You know, like Cleopas, maybe we see Jesus crucified and it doesn't make much of a difference for us. It doesn't make much sense to us. You know, the third thing we see, um, we'll see as we read on, it says this in verse 21, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happen. Cleopas says, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but, they, but him they did not see. The third point is that these men misunderstood what it meant to have faith, that they say people in their company, these women, testify to the fact that Jesus was risen and alive, but yet they still could not believe, that they still continue to walk on this road, you know, sad and still, because they were not able to see Jesus for themselves. You know, there's another in the Bible who has a similar experience, Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. 
he, um, he misses the opportunity to see Jesus when Jesus reappears to his disciples. And, and he says this in John 20, 25, he says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You know, Jesus, nevertheless, he appears to Thomas. He shows him the, himself in risen Jesus. He says, put your hands into my side. He says, see me for who I am. But he goes on to rebuke Thomas. He says this in John 20, 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, this verse is often really misunderstood. At face value, it seems to be saying to have this sort of blind faith, this faith without seeing, that it is this blessing, it is this necessary component, that all these men needed was a blind faith, to trust without seeing. You know, Richard Dawkins, the outspoken atheist, some of you may know him, he, he goes with this and says it this way. Another member of the religious meme complex is called faith. You know, something that doesn't make any sense. It is blind trust. In the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence, the story of doubting Thomas is told, not so that we should admire Thomas, but so that, so that we can admire the other apostles in comparison. Thomas demanded evidence. The other apostles whose faith was so strong that they did not need evidence are held to us as worthy of imitation. You know, he asked this question, should we denounce the reasonable faith of Thomas and imitate the blind faith of the others? Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it's argued that this is a faith endorsed by the Bible, one that is baseless, one that is unwarranted. You know, I think to truly understand what Jesus is saying to Thomas here, how to interpret this verse, we need to read on. John 20, 30 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That there are those who are right with Jesus, who saw him and were able to believe because they, they saw him in person. But what the author of John is saying is that the written words, the eyewitness testimony, are evidence itself, given so that the people can believe without needing to see Jesus. You know, Jesus isn't telling Thomas, have a blind faith that isn't based on evidence, but he's saying rather there are two evidences for faith in Jesus. That blessed are those who have not seen, but who believe by examining closely the evidence found in Scripture. That both avenues, avenues to encountering God, of seeing him for who he is, rests on the firm foundation that is evidence. That faith is not blind. It is belief in God based on evidence that there is something beyond our life. You know, something out of our control. Even Hebrews 11 verse 1 talks about it this way. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. It is conviction of things not seen. Jesus is saying that the scripture, you know, the written word of God, gives us the evidence we need for faith in Jesus. We can take a careful look at the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. One, the fact that it was women who first encountered the empty tomb. People who in that culture, whose testimony, whose word would have no credibility in court. Why would people write it this way? Why would people make up a story in this way? Second, we see, you know, Peter, even in his, in his um, letter, Second Peter writes it this way, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, this is key, that they were eyewitness accounts, and what we know from history is that these letters, these written words of Jesus were scattered throughout the Roman empires in a hundred years, in just the first century after the life of Jesus. 
scattered in many different languages. And this is during the time of eyewitnesses, of other eyewitnesses. You know, you can't make up a story about Jesus feeding the 5,000 or about rising from the dead when thousands of people were there when they saw him during their lifetime. And they could say, no, that's not the way it happened. You know, third, the disciples claim to have seen Jesus together, that they had this encounter with God together, seeing the risen Christ. And we know that group hallucinations don't happen, that there's no such thing. Yet we know all of these disciples went to their death, died horrific deaths. For what? A lie? Why? You need to explain with the evidence. Why would they have made this up and gone to their death for something that they may have made up? You know what the author is saying? We don't need to see Jesus physically to believe, nor should we have some blind faith and believe. That it is scripture, it is the written word that gets us there, that gets us to this place where we can encounter God for who he truly is. And you know, that's exactly where Jesus brings these people on this road to Emmaus to get them to encounter him. As we read on, this is Jesus' response. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself that Jesus opened scriptures. You know, he could have revealed himself to them, right? He's standing right in front of them. But he says, I want you to see me through the written word. That there is just as much evidence for me here. That this is really good news for us today. Why? Because it means we can encounter the risen Christ. That we can relate to this. We can encounter him by looking at his word. And as he speaks to them, we see that this is not some superficial encounter with God, as many did throughout his life. This is a real encounter. Verse 31 reads this, Their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That we see, Did not our hearts burn within us? A movement in their hearts. Something was happening on the inside, you know, not when they recognized him, but when he opened to them the scriptures, that they knew they had come in contact with the God of the universe. They had this real encounter that something connected. There was this visceral response we see, their hearts ablaze, they're moved through the opening of scripture. You know, we don't know exactly what Jesus showed them. We don't know exactly what he said, but we do know this, that he gave them what is the interpretive key to understanding scripture, to encountering God in scripture. That without this key, there is no encounter. You know, the passage says this. He, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That all of scripture, every part, beginning with Moses, all the prophets, they all concern himself. They all point to Jesus. That that's the interpretive key. That these people were probably following Jesus for a while. They probably read the scriptures, grew up reading it as a child, but until they received this interpretive key, did it click? Did they encounter God? You know, there's, um, what does it mean? What does it mean that all of scripture points to Jesus? I have two thoughts. First, that all of scripture tells this one unified story that points to Jesus. That there is this greater meta-narrative to scripture that we have to see for any passage to make sense. This redemptive story of humanity, of the world's need, not for a helper, but for a savior means every section of the Bible, every genre of the Bible, every theme of the Bible, every major figure of the Bible, every image in the Bible points to Jesus. 
You know, I'll share a few examples to get this thought. Every theme in the Bible points to Jesus. Consider this first theme, kingdom and slavery. Israel is constantly looking for, um, constantly in slavery, constantly under the rule of bad kings. What Jesus is saying is that, is that this is not primarily a story about Israel's slavery, but a pointer to a deeper slavery. You know, a pointer to the need for Jesus. One, a slavery of humanity to sin, and the need of Jesus, a true king, who comes to set his people free. You know, we think about this theme throughout scripture of home and exile, that Israel is constantly seen as these wanderers on earth, looking for home, looking for a home, but are constantly in exile. You know, what Jesus is saying is that this story points to the ending, the greater story, the fact that Jesus came to earth, that he left his own home in heaven, exiled for us, so that we can find our home. You know, consider this third story, this third theme throughout scripture, the covenant between God and Israel. God says, I will take you to be my own people, and I will be your God. And yet we see this constant failing by the people of Israel, constant disobedience to God, and it begs us, the reader, to ask this question. Is this covenant that God puts, is it conditional or is it unconditional? You know, at times it seems conditional. God says, you know, you broke my covenant and I will cut you off conditional, but at times it seems unconditional. God says, though you reject me, I will never fully abandon you. I will remain with you. You know, which one is it? It's this mystery. You cannot understand the story without looking at the end. Then comes Jesus, and all of it makes sense. It all points to him. He cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see right there, Jesus came to take the judgment, to fulfill the condition of the covenant so that God can love his people unconditionally. Every theme in the Bible points to a greater story, that is Jesus. You know, not only that, but every figure in the Bible points to Jesus. The flaws show us that God works by grace, saves people through a Savior who will die in weakness. The strengths of these figures show us the need for one who is even greater. You know, I want to share this uh, poetic sermon excerpt from um, one of Tim Keller's sermons, who, who shares a handful of these figures here you know, to just to get a grasp of how many things, figures, themes, images, people in the Bible point to Jesus. It says this, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, whose obedience then is imputed to us. Jesus is a true and better Abel, though innocently slain, has blood that now cries out, not for a condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable, and familiar and go out into a void and create a new people for God. Jesus is a true and better Isaac, who was not only sacrificed up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. When God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love for me, we can now look at God and we can say to him, we can see God sacrificing his son on the mountain and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is a true and better Moses, who stands in the gap of the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is a true and better rock of Moses. Yes, even this rock points to Jesus, who, struck, who was struck with the rod of God's justice, who now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory. 
though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but who lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but who gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we can be brought in. Do you see the extent of this? That every theme, every figure, every passage, every text in the Bible points to Jesus. That is the interpretive key to encountering God in Scripture. But the second thing is this, that if all of Scripture points to Jesus, then all of Scripture points to the beauty of the gospel. It means that there are two ways to read every passage in the Bible. There's a moralistic way, and there's a gospel-centered way. As we read each passage, we ask, is it about me and what I need to do, or is it about Jesus and what he's done? You know, in John chapter 5, we see um, the Pharisees, they're accusing Jesus, they're condemning him for healing this man on the Sabbath. They're saying, Jesus, you are not obeying the commands of the Old Testament. This is Jesus' response to them, John chapter 5. You search the scriptures, Pharisees, because you think in them that you have eternal life. You know, you're looking to these scriptures and you're saying, if I live this way, if I emulate these people, I'm going to find eternal life. But Jesus says this, it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You know, we won't find life reading a passage about Sabbath and thinking about how I can be more faithful, how I could be more faithfully practice Sabbath. You see how the act of Sabbath points to Jesus. You know, the fact that we're saved not through our action, but through our inaction. We are saved through the one who tirelessly went to the cross so that we can find our rest. You know, that's even what the author of Hebrews says, that all the New Testament authors read scripture this way. You know, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's where we're going to find our true rest. If you don't have this ending in mind, if you don't have this interpretive key, you miss the message of every passage in the Bible. You know, have you seen this movie, um, the Lego movie? It's this pretty fun, awesome adventure movie of these people who are um, yeah, on this adventure, and the whole time you think we're in Lego world, in Lego land, and these people are on this adventure, but at the end, um, this is a spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen the movie, just cover your ears, but at the end, you realize that the whole time, it's really this father and son who are playing with these Legos, who are putting the whole story together as they go. You know, that's what Jesus is saying, that you read the Bible, you think it's all about Israel, you think it's all about Moses, all about Abraham, and to an extent, it is. Of course, we can draw some conclusions from looking at these characters. But what Jesus is saying, you cannot just read it and draw a conclusion based on what you read without seeing the ending. You need to see that every part of the Bible is part of this larger story. This God who is putting this whole story together as it goes. That everything is pointing to Jesus. You know, you can even read a passage or a text spoken by or about Jesus and miss the gospel. Here's one in Matthew chapter 5, a very famous Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the more, for they shall be comforted. You know, it goes on. You know, one reading may say this, I need to be more poor in spirit. I need to be more personal, per merciful. I need to be more of a peacemaker. I need to be more like Jesus. I need to muster up the strength and the faith to live this way. But the Sermon on the Mount even ends, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Sermon on the Mount itself points to the fact that it is not possible to get change this way, to get lasting change in this way. 
that we will either do it out of fear of disobedience to God or we'll do it out of pride, you know, thinking that I'm a decent human, I should be able to live this way. Reading this passage, even a passage spoken by Jesus through the gospel lens, you see this passage must point to the gospel. Why can I inherit the kingdom of God? Why can I find my riches in the kingdom of God? It's because Jesus left his riches to become poor for us. Because Jesus, why can I be comforted? It's because Jesus was mourned, because he wept for us with tears of blood. You know, why can we be filled and why can we be satisfied? Because he was emptied for us. You know, do you see what he has done for you? That's what's going to bring lasting change. That's what's going to bring life. You know, this is the interpretive key, that all of scripture points to Jesus. All of scripture points to the beauty of the gospel. It is not about beating on your will more and more to try to be more faithful. It is about allowing the truth of the gospel to be powerfully real to you. If Jesus did this for me, if he died for me, that changes everything. That gives me the deepest sense of love, of security. It shows us the infinite value he places on our lives. You know, it lets us say, Jesus, I need your grace. I need to be filled. That brings lasting change. That allows us to go forward, to be peacemakers, to be merciful, to desire to be more like the one we love. You know, I'll end with just a couple of quick notes of application. One is this to get together and discuss. What we see in this passage is Jesus appears to these people as they're walking, as they're discussing. You know, bring your questions together, bring your confusion, bring your doubts, bring the scripture to the table. You know, that's where Jesus is going to meet you. You know, shameless plug again, but we're starting community groups. The QR code is going to go back up at the end. Be sure to sign up. Be there to to examine scripture together. You know, if you're at Stepping Stone, join a community group. Be an active participant. Be there and discuss together. But the second is this, point each other not to what we need to do better, but to Jesus and the gospel. You know, as you read, as you listen to sermons, however you may consume scripture, ask yourself this, is my takeaway a moralistic reading to be more faithful? Or am I being pointed to Jesus and the beauty of the gospel? You know, sometimes it's not easy to see how a passage points to Jesus, how it points to the gospel. But as you read the Bible, as you discuss it with others, you know, with this new interpretive key, as the first disciples did, it'll become instinctive, it'll become natural, it'll become powerful. You know, I have a few questions here. Maybe that'll help you um, to get started, to think in a different way, to see passages in a new way. You know, what theme, figure, image, or idea from the passage points me to Jesus and the gospel? How can I ultimately, how can I thank Jesus as the ultimate revelation of this or the ultimate answer to my need? And lastly, this is where it gets to application. How would I be different if this truth were powerfully real to me? That's how we get lasting change. That's how we become followers of Jesus who encounter him in this real way. You know, my hope is you'd pray through these questions, that in, as you pray, you'd feel that, you know, warmness in your heart, that burning in your heart just as it was for these people on the road to Emmaus, that you would sense the reality of God, that it would bring you life. Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you so much for um, your scriptures, for providing us this new source of evidence for faith, that it may be so powerfully real to us that we don't need to live with blindness, we don't need to live um, trusting our own works, but we can look to you, that you've literally done it all for us, God. Lord, would you open our eyes to see you, to see you powerfully real to us, to have that burning in our hearts, God. 
Now would you just encounter us right now, even as we worship and as we sing to you for what you've done for us. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your holy name. Amen. who Jesus is, that the Bible points to him, and that that Jesus, the King, um, laid down his life for us.
you're ready, you can rise with us.
we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth that you gave your life for us. Um, we thank you that you've called us um, not to walk in performance or in achievements um, or in becoming better people, but that you have called us to walk with you, the person Jesus. And um, I just pray that, um, yeah, as the two people um, walked to Emmaus and they didn't recognize you, they didn't see um, the ordinary ways that you were calling them and speaking to them. Um, Father, I just pray, Jesus, would you just speak to us on the daily, God, um, in the moments that we have with you, in the word, in prayer, um, just through having fellowship with other people, God, that we would see those moments with you, that we would recognize that it is you who is changing us, who is speaking to us, who is loving us, and that we would be called to worship and adore and love you, um, and that in those ways that we would become more like you. Um, so, yeah, we just... Um, we just thank you for the word today, and I um, pray all this in your son's name. Amen. 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 You know, there's one last thing. When, when the apostles, or those two people on the road to Emmaus saw this, they couldn't help after encountering Jesus to go out, to run to the 11 disciples and tell them that Jesus was risen. Tell them what he had showed them. You know, what amazes me about this church is we can gather here. And we are a church that gathers, but more than that, we are a church that sends, that we believe our identity as a church is in the everyday, just as our purpose says. So I encourage you with this, you know, go home, go to lunch, go to your Super Bowl parties, go to your workplace, to your classrooms with this good news of what Jesus has done for you, you know, what he has done for you. Yeah, that's it for today, but really glad to be with you all. Hope you guys have an awesome, blessed week, and we'll see you here next week.